Well, good morning, church. How are we this morning? That was awesome. I love that. I love Easter, and I love how everybody dresses up and looks nice. I saw my son wearing something I've never seen him in before, so I guess we purchased this really nice button-down shirt at some time in his life, because he came up to me, and he was like, hey, Dad. I was like, who are you? Oh, you're my child. Wow, you look really, you look really sharp. But not only that happens, church, the thing that I feared four or five weeks ago, it happened today. I wore my blue shirt with my white dots on it, and so did Pastor Ron. We took pictures together. We're going to release them as a calendar here at the end of, at the, end of the year. It's going, to be, it's going to be really good. Oh, praise the Lord. The thing I did, never wanted to happen, man, it happened. There it is. Ron just saw me and just gave me a hug. He goes, bring it in, man. I said, we got to embrace it now, man. We're here. We just, we got to do it. So, oh, man, it's good. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And church, when I was starting to write this on Tuesday, I'm going to try to get through this sermon in one piece, but no promises. Because as I was reflecting on what God has done, what Christ did, as we celebrate Easter today that he is risen, I was a hot mess in my office. I was crying, I was up last night just praying, and man, I'm even like shaking this morning knowing that we serve a king who's alive, and knowing that we serve a king who loves you and is here, and if you don't know him, he wants to meet you. So there's some here today because this is your home church. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Others may be here because they were invited by friends or family. My name is Michael. It's good to meet you. (laughs) And some may be here simply because it's Easter, and this is the family tradition. And on the surface, we can hear about Easter Sunday and the death and the resurrection of this man named Jesus Christ, and we can think of it as just another story, another thing that we just punch the box, another thing we read once a year and put it on a shelf and come back to it a year later. We might even think it to be cruel and horrible punishment That someone would die in the way that Jesus did. And how crazy it is to think that he got up a few days later and came back to life. Well, in the time that we have together this morning, I want to share with you the why behind the what. The what is Easter Sunday. The what is the death and resurrection of Christ. But why is why Jesus did it in the first place. So let's look to the Lord this morning. Jesus, we love you. Oh, we thank you for meeting us this morning. We thank you that your presence is here and that you're not dead. But, Lord, you got up and you forgave us of our sins. Lord, you paid the ultimate price. We're so grateful. So, Jesus, I pray you meet us here this morning. You spend time with us here this morning. You would challenge our hearts, Lord, for those that believe, Lord, and you pull on the ones that don't. God, we love you, and we're so grateful for all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm like two minutes in. I'm already breaking it up, man. I'm telling you. So, all right. Well, we live in a world, we all long to live in a world that is safe. Am I right? We want to live in a world that's loving. We want to live in a world that's filled with peace and has perfect justice. We want to be in a world where our children are safe, don't have anything to worry about, where our communities take care of one another, and there's no bad guys walking the streets. But we don't live in that world, do we? The world around us is dangerous. It's corrupt. 
It's hateful, it's spiteful, and it's often darker than we care to admit. And this reality is something called evil. And this evil nature is not something God ever intended us to live with. I want to share with you a quote from a group called The Bible Project. They're a group of uh, people who just love the Word of God, and, and they, they put these big, complicated stories of the Bible into really bite-sized pieces. And they say this. They say, the story of the Bible begins with God creating a beautiful world and then sharing it with all his creatures. He then appoints Adam and Eve to be rulers over it. God gives them access to his wisdom and his life, but then tells them that there is one tree, one thing they could not eat from because it will lead to death. And in this moment, we hear about another person, a snake, Satan himself, manipulating and deceiving and asking the question he asked us all the time. Did God really say that? Did he really say you can't eat from that? And in this moment, this is a test. And we who maybe don't know the Lord could say, well, how cruel it is that there's a God who would test his people. But not all tests are intended for evil. God wanted to rule this world with humans as his partners, which means they would need to trust his wisdom over their own. How many people can trust somebody else's wisdom over their own? But Adam and Eve rebelled. They failed this test. And they were exiled out of Eden. And this is where evil comes into the world. And in this moment, evil becomes a reality in every one of our lives. And evil ruins things in two ways. If you've ever had something taken from you or stolen from you, there's an injustice that is now created. And in our world, when that happens, something is then owed to make it right. This is called a direct impact of evil. If somebody steals something from a store, what happens? You need to replace it. You need to put it back. And if you can't put it back, what happens? Prison time can happen. And when people get let out of prison, what's the term that's used? They've paid their debt to society. There is a debt that is, needs to be paid when evil happens. And this is the direct effect of evil. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's more than just a direct impact of evil, isn't there? There's an indirect effect. And it's indirect, it's tough to deal with. It's the ruining or decay of a relationship around us. There's a lack of trust and emotional damage that happens when evil happens to us. Think if you invite someone into your home and they take something from yours on purpose. How would your relationship with other people be moving forward? Think about a marriage relationship where one partner is abused. Think about how they would view other relationships in life. They're going to be tilted. They're going to be slanted. Think about horrible things that might have happened to you in your life. There's a lens that we start looking at things through. This is the indirect effect of evil. It's almost like relationship vandalism. And when I hear that word vandalism, I often think of times I went into Manhattan when I was a kid, when I lived out east. You'd see some really beautiful areas, and time progresses, and all of a sudden, you'd start seeing graffiti pop up on walls. It would take something beautiful, and it would cover it up in foul language and scribbles. And the worst part is that it would take a long time for it to ever get cleared off. And this example is exactly like the indirect impact of evil. This indirect, this indirect impact is really hard to overcome. 
But when evil exists, this needs to be made right too. There's two things that need to be made right with evil. Now, as a child, or at even times today, I can look to God and ask him to remove all of the evil from the world. Has anybody ever done that? What a perfect environment it would be to walk freely without any worry, without any danger, if God would snap his fingers and remove all of that from the world. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we would come to the conclusion that each of us, at different points in our own lives, have contributed to the evil in this world. And if we're honest with ourselves, we could admit that something inside of us compels us to add to this destructive nature. I can stand before you, church, and with 100% honesty say that there are two people in my life that I have literally hated. I've contributed to the evil in this world. I've made mistakes. I've disappointed people. That's why Romans chapter 3, verse 23 reads this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all part of the evil. So if God is to completely rid the world of evil, then the reality is he would need to rid the world of us. But this is not the God that we serve. And when Adam and Eve failed, it's not the end of the story. See, God makes a promise that one day a human will come and will pass this test, defeat the snake, We serve a God who does not abandon his people, but gives them many opportunities to come into relationship with him. Amen? In fact, almost the entire Old Testament of the Bible is an account of God providing opportunity after opportunity for his people to simply pass this test. And they simply never do. Humans throughout history have this amazing opportunity to trust God and his promises, but no one ever really does fully. So God provides a way for them to have communion with him and to offer forgiveness for mankind's sins. In the Old Testament, these were known as sacrifices. They were things that were done that allowed you to connect with God. If you guys remember, a few weeks ago, we taught on Levitical law, on what clean and unclean meant. For those that call this home, hopefully you guys remember that. It was a way that we can encounter God. So despite our shortcomings, God still creates an opportunity to have relationship with him. And throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, we find the mentioning specifically of animal sacrifices, which in today's world, we could think sounds really inhumane. And any PETA card-carrying member would be bothered to the core to hear about it. But we must remember that even though the Bible is still applicable today, we need to understand what was so significant about this to the people to which who these sacrifices were intended. To the Israelites, animal sacrifices were extremely significant. These sacrifices were a symbol of God's justice and also his grace. So if we remember and we understand that we are all contributors to the problem of evil in this world, and in order for God to erase evil, he would need to remove us, but instead, God is allowing an animal to be a substitute. It is a symbolic dying in our place, or in this case, the Israelites' place. And this is known in the Bible as atonement. And atonement means to cover someone's death. Now remember, there are two things 
that happen with evil. The direct, that's the atonement. The indirect, which in the Israelites' case, the animal sacrifices cover. There's emotional vandalism that takes place with evil. And in the Bible, this idea is more clearly defined as the polluting or defiling of the land. And in order to make the environment, or in this case, the land clean, priests, after an animal sacrifice, would take blood from the sacrifice and sprinkle it around the temple. Now, to some here, that sounds like really messy and super gross. But to the Jewish people, the blood of an animal represented life. And the sprinkling of it around was a representation of how God was cleaning or washing away the indirect consequences in their community. Almost like taking a power washer to spray paint on a wall. It's the stripping away of something ugly and dirty and filthy and nasty and leaving behind what it's supposed to be. As I was praying about this, I just kept seeing a, a bowl in my sink. If you've ever cleaned after you cook anything with fat or oil in it, and the grease is just sitting on top of the bowl. And to this day, I like putting one little drop of soap in there and watching it all scatter. That's like what the blood of these animals did to the land. It cleaned it. You guys tracking me with that example? If you haven't done that, cook something fatty and do it because you're missing out. So the term the Bible uses for this cleaning is called purification. And through this process, the nation and the land now becomes clean, becomes a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. The term clean meant you can go into the temple, which represented the presence of God. So this act of animal sacrifice to the Israelites makes things right between Israel and God. But they also get to experience God's love and grace through these symbols. And by experiencing these things, it would compel them to become a people of grace and love towards others. How many of us can say in all honesty and all truth, every facet of my life that I walk in, I walk in grace and love towards other people. Not easy, is it? And to the Israelites, this is not what happened. As time progressed, we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, that these sacrifices had become meaningless to God because the people were just simply going through the motions. They were just punching the card. But they were still committing evil. They were ignoring the poor. They were distorting justice, and they were allowing evil to flourish in their midst. The leaders were allowing the graffiti to be sprayed on the wall, and they did nothing about it. The evil or sin is represented in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, because there's something that needs to be paid with evil to make it right. And the wage for sin, it is death. Plain and simple. When we allow that evil to flourish in our lives, it consumes us and it kills us. It separates us from the king of kings. It separates us from the relationship that Jesus intended for us to have. And all of this backstory, what's the point of all this, Michael? It brings us all to who Jesus is and the why behind the what. This idea and this reality is so important because as we look at the word of God and look at the why behind what Jesus did, he creates an opportunity to rid the world of evil without eliminating 
humanity. That's a big deal. So the book of Isaiah looks towards a king, a new king, from the line of David who would deal with evil once and for all. Don't we all want that? But this king was not one running around with a sword in his hands, taking the lives of those who were committing evil. However, through his tremendous love, God sent a servant king. And in John 3.16, we read what he did. God loved this world so much. He loved you so much. He loved me so much that he gave his son. His name is Jesus. And anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's who Jesus sent. We all deserve death. We all deserve destruction. But God said, yeah, but I love you. And I'm going to make a way. And you're not too far gone. Oh, you've sinned? Join the club. Oh, you've made mistakes? So have I. But Jesus is saying, but you're still my kid. And I still love you. And he expresses that through this scripture. And not just a servant. God didn't just send a servant. But he also sent one who would suffer and who would die for the evils committed by his people, my evils, and that his life would act as a sacrifice, one final sacrifice of atonement. You see, the same test God gave man, he also put before Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, he performed countless miracles, but was destined to die for the sins of man. Jesus, his test took place two times, in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil, and then right before he went and hung on the cross. In fact, Jesus told his disciples before he was hung on the cross to pray because he was about to enter a great test. And as he prayed to the Father, Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's someone who loved you that much. In this moment, Jesus is showing us what passing the test looks like. He trusts in God's plan. He shows his love for others more than his own life. He's confronting evil with good. His passing of this test covers all previous failures in human history. And Jesus knew this when he physically walked the earth. It says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And for those who know the word of God, this statement was foretold earlier in Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53. We read that this Friday night with, the, with all the kids in the kids' area. It was beautiful. And Pastor Sarah had this great example where she gave uh, glow sticks to all the kids and said, what are these glow sticks and Good Friday have in common? And let me tell you something, guys. The kids in this church, man, they'll say things that just make you smile. And a couple of them raise their hand and go, well, in order for the glow stick to light up, you have to break it. Pastor Sarah said, yeah. Let's break the glow sticks. And they all light up. We turn the lights off. She said, that's what Jesus did for us. Through his breaking, he lit up the world. Hmm. Here's the thing, church. The what behind the why? The word ransom in Mark 10 refers to another word we used earlier, which is atonement. So Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, lives a sinless life, shares an open invitation to any who are willing to follow him, 
and in him they will find everlasting life. Then he's arrested and put to death on a cross. And his death represents an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt humans owed to God for contributing to the evils in this world. Not only did Jesus die for each of us, he bled. And much like when the priest sprinkled the blood around the temple, Jesus' blood offers purification. Somebody say amen. The blood, which was a symbol of life, has the power to wash away the vandalism that evil leaves behind, which gives us the ability to what? To live at peace with God. Don't we all want that? And this all leads us up to Good Friday, the day Jesus is crucified. And in this, as he's hanging on that cross, he still says, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. We pick Barabbas over Jesus. And then Jesus dies and still says, they don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. And that's the same Jesus that forgives us today. As we're far away from him, as we're doing things we know we shouldn't be doing, because here's what I know. Sin, yeah, cool, it's fun for like a minute, but man, does it leave you empty. And there's nothing in this world that fills you up like, man, serving Jesus. My father-in-law says it, there's a lot of fun being a Christian. I'll tell you that right now. And Jesus' blood offers that atoning sacrifice, that purification for us. He says, forgive him, and he dies. That's not where the story ends, does it? (laughs) This leads us to our main text. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 11. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went down to the tomb. If you guys were woken up by that thunder and lightning last night, I I don't even think that holds a candle to what took place when Jesus came back. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He ain't here. Amen. He ain't here. He is risen just as he said. Man only breaks promises. God don't. Come and see the place where he lay. You want proof? It's right here. Check it out. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tube, afraid yet filled with joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus does not remain dead. So Jesus is the sacrifice that broke the power of death and evil, which means he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. 
He is the perfect sacrifice to which all other sacrifices were pointing to. The entire Old Testament was saying there'll be another, there'll be another, there'll be one greater. Don't look to Moses, don't look to David, look to the one who's coming. He shows up, he dies, he offers the perfect sacrifice, and not only atones for all the sins of man before, but continues to do it today. And that's what's available to each and every one of us if we're willing. Jesus does not remain dead. Earlier, I only read half of Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I Jesus juked you guys. But the full verse reads like this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You want forgiveness for evil? You can't do it. You want to make right by running 12 steps? Ain't going to fix it. You want to clean the streets, power wash walls, because that's going to make you feel better? It's going to leave you empty. It's only through the power of Jesus. I'm going to try not to get super emotional right now, but I'm going to tell the story of when my, my son was born. If you've ever been a parent, I'm sorry for those who have tried to have kids and can't. My heart breaks for you because I know that that can't be easy. But I want to share this story with you. I remember when my wife got pregnant with my son Aiden. I remember putting my ear on her stomach and feeling the feet kind of poke out and seeing them move around and just going, I can't wait to meet this little joker. I can't wait to spend time with him. You get to see this miracle take place. And as he's born and I'm holding him, This overwhelming love came over me like I have never experienced in my life. I just thought, man, I love this kid. And I could hear the voice of the Lord, and he just said, you think you love that kid. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, because the love you have for him doesn't hold a candle to how I love you. If you've been a parent, you know how unfathomable that even is. But that is the truth. I had this moment of spiritual experience holding my son. The Lord is still speaking, saying, I love you so much more. Because you know the fact? I would never give either of my kids for any of you. I wouldn't do it. I'm not being a jerk. That's just fact. I wouldn't do it. But God in his divine wisdom said, but I will. But I will. Romans 8, Romans 5, chapter 8 reads, But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that could deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. The why behind the what as we started, the why church is me. That's why. Because I've done evil in my own life. Because I've broken promises. I've lied. I've been rude to people. I've been mean. I've committed hate in my heart. Yet, Jesus still loves me. Jesus still died for me despite all of those circumstances. Mm. And he wants the same for you. Because I've walked in it and I've felt it, guys. 
I've lived it. I've found that freedom. I've seen chains broken. I've seen addiction broken. I've seen every walk of life you could possibly imagine radically changed by the power of Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know him, it's time. Every, every service we put questions up. There ain't no questions today. This is a time of reflection. This is a time of action because you're here for a reason. If you don't know Jesus and you're in this building, then something compelled you to come here. Am I right or am I wrong? And church, let me tell you something. For those who are, this is not their home, but you guys are praying, we've been praying for you. Because what we have, we don't want to keep to ourselves. We want you to experience freedom in Jesus. And how? Man, it's so easy. It's so easy. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you are filled and justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The what is Easter. The why is that each of us contribute to evil in this world, but that can change. The why is a man named Jesus who conquered death and is alive today. The one who has your back always and is always looking out for you and loves you more than you can possibly imagine. If you don't know Jesus, and worship team, if you could, come on up. Prayer team, if you can go in the back. If you don't know Jesus, there's, there's a time to meet him right now. Because here's the reality, for Pastor Ron and myself, our hands are clean of this message now because we've shared the good news with you. At some point, you got to respond to that feeling in your heart that Jesus is saying, come to me. Yeah, but I've done these things. Yeah, come to me. Yeah, but I made these mistakes. Let me get those right first and then I'll come to Jesus. Nah, come to me. Because that's who he is. He makes things new. I'm telling you, he is the answer. And if you're here today and think that you did something that something that you did contributed too much to the evil of this world and that God would never accept you, I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, my two most favorite scriptures in all of the word of God reads, For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the powers, nor heights or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That is the God that we serve. Jesus wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants it so bad. And I want it for you. Because I know what it's like to walk in God's blessing. I know what it's like to trust him. And there's times it's not easy. It's difficult. But man, let me tell you something. There is an absolute, complete joy knowing that there's a king of kings who's watching over you. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't fully trusting in him. And there's times I struggle with that. Man, I deal hard with that. But guys, there is a God who wants a relationship with you. And he's here today. So church, if we could close our eyes. For just a moment. And if you know the Lord, then start praying. And if you don't know the Lord, hear my words. This is the time for you to respond. It's Easter, and yes, we celebrate Christ's death and resurrection every Sunday. But you're here today. So Lord, we put this time before you. And church, I ask you that if you don't know Jesus, you get up and get to the back of the church and find the wonderful men and women that are standing back there. They will pray with you. They will show you and talk to you what it's all about, but the time is now. So, Lord, we trust you with all things. 
We are so grateful for what you've done for us, Lord, because we are not worthy. Yet you said, but I love you. Lord, let us overcome the difficult questions in our hearts. Let us overcome the difficult circumstances in our lives, Lord, and bring us to you that we would fully trust you and be obedient to you. So, Lord, as we spend this time together celebrating, Lord, and if you're still in your seat, if you feel that heartbeat pumping, man, respond. Just go. What do you have to lose? Nothing. What do you have to gain? Everything. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not dead, but you are alive. Thank you, Jesus, that you are walking with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you sent your son, God, to die on that cross and pay our debt. We love you, Lord. We give this time to you, Lord. Do your work, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord.